The views expressed on this podcast are those of the participants, not of Reuters News. Welcome to The Views Room, a weekly podcast brought to you by Reuters Breaking Views. I'm Rob Cox, the editor of Breaking Views, coming to you from Zurich, Switzerland. Well, America will soon have a new president. Joe Biden, the former vice president, is poised to win a majority of the electoral college votes, not to mention the popular vote, and depose Donald Trump as president. But he won't have carte blanche. At best, his party, the Democrats, will have a slim majority in the Senate. That means he'll need to tack to the center on economic, tax, and industrial policy. And he'll need to choose a cabinet of moderates who can squeak past Senate confirmation. On the eve of Biden's historic win, I spoke to Swaha Patnaik, our global economics editor in London, and John Foley, our U.S. editor in New York. Give a listen. Okay, John Foley, there you are in New York, Swaha in London. Um, if you're like me, uh, you haven't had much sleep over the past few days. If we've been watching, as we've been watching the uh, ballots come in and in every state, uh, every, uh, today someone asked me, uh, maybe you were on that call, uh, Swaha, what's the capital of Pennsylvania? <laughs> One of our European colleagues. And, and then someone said, what's, where's DeKalb County? It's pretty fascinating, isn't it? <laughs> Absolutely, well, everybody's getting familiar with the maps. Yeah, but let's let's talk about. Okay, Joe, we we, we very likely will have a Joe Biden presidency. There'll be a lot of con, you know contests about uh, counting, recounting, all that kind of stuff. But it looks very clearly like like we will have a new president, new forty six president. Let's talk about what this means for markets. Uh, Swaha, you know, you've taken a look at this. Um, what's your sort of broad uh, outline is in terms of what this means for, you know, let's say currency markets, uh, equity markets, and fixed income generally. I think one of the key things that actually is important as well as the Biden presidency would be what happens with the Senate. So all of the initial reactions with the market started turning around on its head when the Senate looked like it might not become a great big blue wave as well. And that mitigates some of the risks that the market was factoring in on the regulation that would come in on big tech, how much fiscal stimulus the Democrats could do. And it's looking like, therefore, the dollar started weakening. The end result at the end of a really hair raising week has been that there won't be so much fiscal stimulus and therefore more onus on the Federal Reserve, who with the continuity candidate Joe, Joe Powell, uh, likely to have to do more monetary stimulus, which is going to weaken the dollar. The stock market sort of takes taking it with the more mitigated thing that there won't be huge regulation now pushed through. So that's the big surround sound picture in global asset markets. So, John, you wrote a piece about the dollar, uh, which Swaha just mentioned, it, which is sort of if, if our readers may, may be interested to know that we wrote this ahead of time and it really didn't matter who won, um, whether it was Donald Trump for re-election or Joe Biden. We had a view that uh, that you had a view um, that the dollar was going towards a longer steady decline, right? That's basically right, yeah. Before the election, there was this slightly simplistic view, but you know, not, not totally wrong, that if you got a Biden government with a blue wave, so Democrats running every, you know, every, both House of Congress and the White House, then you get a load of fiscal spending, you know, new green deals all over the place and you know, trillions and trillions of dollars of deficits. And that in the long term means that you get higher inflation and that is obviously bad for holders of the dollar. It makes you less likely to buy dollar assets. So there's this theory that if Biden wins, dollar goes down. If Trump wins, dollar kind of goes up. But over the long term, 
Um, either way you look at it, the dollar is getting probably less attractive as an asset for foreign investors to hold, just because America has done such a terrible job of being the kind of global traffic cop when it comes to the financial system over the last few years. There's been you know, very little support for things like the World Trade Organization, the, the stop-start you know, rollercoaster ride policies when it comes to trade partners like China. Biden would be a bit more stable, but I, I think really some of the damage has been done. And over the long term, that means the dollar just slightly edges back from its central pivotal role in the global financial system. Of course, Swaha, we've been we've we've been talking about this for years now. The the end of the or the decline of the dollar as the reserve currency. I guess the, the 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 thing that always comes up is like, okay, but what takes its place? I mean, is there any sense that 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 the outcome here will give any more clarity to that question? I think it's also a case of who are the contenders. You have to have an alternative before a reserve currency is replaced. Now, common EU issuance, uh, it's not quite the Hamilton moment, I would say, um, that some called it, but it's a start. You start having contenders like that. China's one is not Im an immediate option. Uh, it's not used widely enough, it's not liquid enough, but the economic power behind it is growing. So those contenders are coming up and didn't exist before. And I think that will also be encouraging people to look for an alternative to the dollar where the US use of currency as a sort of weapon of foreign policy, if you like, with the extraterritoriality uh, issue coming in means that people are open to that now, not just, you know, happy to go with the status quo. Well, I will I notice that Bitcoin has gone from uh, 10,000 a month ago to 16,000. I don't imagine that's the answer, but it sort of raises the question about that a little bit, no? I guess so. I think central bank digital currencies are probably going to be, or stablecoin, whatever you want to call it, which based on real currencies are probably going to be a closer alternative rather than Bitcoin. John, what were you going to say? Well, I would say that we talk a lot about, everyone has talked a lot for years about the dollar losing its reserve status or somehow being kind of tarnished, but it's worth pointing out that that isn't necessarily a bad thing. Um, because the, there are all kinds of complexities that come with being the global reserve. You, you kind of have to run giant deficits you, um, and, and you have this kind of responsibility that can be quite annoying, I guess, at times. If, if the dollar does weaken over time, it becomes easier to sell more exports. It becomes easier to bring industries back on shore, potentially. So we should be we should remember that like this whole idea of losing, you know, losing centrality, is not actually necessarily a terribly, terribly threatening thing over the long run. And let's talk about um, companies. I mean, John, you've you've curated this interesting uh, column that looks at a whole series of industries and companies that will be potentially affected by uh, a, a new administration. I mean, let's start with a couple. Let's start with Wall Street, our core audience. Um, what's your sense about you know what what how should they look at a Biden administration? Yeah, so Wall Street is in a is in an interesting position. If you think about a government that is, as it looks right now, is going to be a, a Democrat president with either um, a Republican Senate or or a sort of just about Democrat Senate with the vice president maybe casting a tie-breaking vote, then that means no big changes. It means no kind of very dramatic policies. So. There are two kinds of companies. There are the ones that wanted dramatic changes and aren't going to get them. And there were the ones that desperately didn't want dramatic changes and they're going to get what they want. And Wall Street is the latter. So if you think of some of the really progressive proposals that Biden was um, 
had on his platform, doubling the capital gains tax rate, for example, for, for very rich people, um, you know, raising the corporate tax rate. Uh, none of that's going to happen. You can't really get that through a moderate Senate where you need where every vote counts, including the votes of people like Chuck Schumer, who's the New York senator, who, of course, depends on a lot of you know, Wall Street bankers and private equity people for for the votes that keep them in office. So so for Wall Street, this is a good this is probably a good thing. They're going to see very little change. They're probably not going to see any more regulation, um, which is partly because the Republicans didn't really roll back any of the regulation that was already there when they came into power in 2016. And then you so, also have like the you you have personnel. So one of the, the the points you you guys make is because you you know even if they have a slim majority in the Senate, they're still going to need to have sort of more centrist proposals for appointments for things like the Secretary of Treasury. So you won't have, you know, Elizabeth Warren as Secretary of Treasury. That's a that's a no go, for instance. And, and there are good things and bad things about that, because you, you could find that even some mildly progressive views on things like redistribution of wealth to mitigate racial inequality become very difficult to to square with a very centrist Senate. So that could affect everything from, you know, who's the next Federal Reserve uh, chair to, of course, who's the Treasury Secretary, and also who runs some of the regulatory agencies like the Office of the Controller of the Currency, which has an important role in overseeing what banks do. And you may right. find that Wall Street executives themselves, who wouldn't have had a hope in hell's chance of getting some of those jobs, if you had, you know, Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders in the driving seat, may now find that that revolving door is still revolving just like it was under Trump. But on a, on a brighter note, infrastructure week is back. Interesting because it never went away. <laughs> it never actually materialized, but it, it right. was uh, the idea was there. But and yeah, infrastructure week. I mean, it's possible that um, you know Biden's promised about two trillion dollars on clean energy. He wants well-paid jobs. You know, every, both sides have an interest in infrastructure. The, the only catch is that Trump, one of Trump's kind of hallmark things was was cutting red tape. Um, and, you know, in infrastructure, the less red tape you get, the better. Biden may put some of that back. And it's not that that's necessarily a bad thing. If he wants to focus on, you know, low polluting industries um, and making sure things are done properly, that's great. But it just means that we, you know, infrastructure week may again get pushed back and back and back. Um, so don't hold your breath. However, some of the, you know, some of these big companies like Brookfield, Blackstone, Blackstone in, in particular as a private equity group is very exposed to potential changes in the tax rate um, and in capital gains tax. But they've been saying, well, you know, what we lose on the swings, we may gain back on the roundabouts, because if we see more infrastructure going on, that's something that we can invest in and make money out of. Mm -hmm. And then uh, we don't have to go through all the industries, but one of the other ones you, you pointed out was... Um, well, transportation. I mean, because we, Amtrak Joe, as Biden was known for taking the Amtrak back and forth from Delaware to Washington, there's a view that we will see a bump in public transportation, which uh, which could be quite interesting. Yeah, and, and and not necessarily at the expense of some of the kind of private options like car makers and so on. So, but but certainly it wouldn't hurt to see more investment in um, in public transit, and also actually. That's not just a, a federal issue. There were a lot of ballot measures um, in, in, in local areas that actually related to this. So in places like Austin, Texas, uh, Fairfax County in Virginia, there were ballot measures that basically approved uh, more finance for public transport. So, so regardless of who's in the White House, we're heading in that direction where people can more easily get from A to B.
And the last one, not a big industry, but um, one that people are interested in is, is weed and cannabis. I mean, there were a couple of uh, referendums uh, that, that passed, including in, in the Garden State, New Jersey, which is pretty large. Um, which, so what's your view on this? How does this change the weed biz? So when, when I was saying there were some industries that really wanted big change and aren't going to get it, weed is one of those industries because what they would really like is a federal legalization of cannabis. And then you can do things like... Which Kamala Harris had, had said uh, she would support. Yeah, it's, and it's, it's actually a bipartisan issue. So, so in some, it's not totally off the table, but it's much harder to do. And I would let companies have bank accounts, basically, in national banks. It would mean you could move products across state lines, which you currently can't. But um, as a sort of consolation prize, New Jersey isn't bad. And when I've talked to executives in the weed industry over the last couple of years, they've all said that New Jersey is like a big prize because once you've got New Jersey in the net, then New York probably follows quite quickly. And Governor Andrew Cuomo in New York has said, you know, we need the money. We want the tax revenue. We don't want to see everyone going to New Jersey to buy their, you know, edibles when they could be buying it here. Yeah. Uh, in Williamsburg. So, so that, that's, it, they, it's not what they want, which is, uh, you know, a, a national federal. They want a federal legislation. Yeah. Yeah. And then pension funds can start investing in stocks of weed companies. That's not so that's not going to happen at least until the next set of you know, congressional elections in 2022, but still having New Jersey, having even these states, you know, Montana, South Dakota, it's all creeping in that direction of weed becoming a more respectable uh, consumer goods category, I guess. Okay, so from Ganja, let's go to one last question or sort of discussion. What is this, and Swaha, maybe you've, you've got some perspective on this, certainly from London, which is you know, how, how will a Biden administration interact with some of the multilateral financial organizations or, or multilateral uh, trade organizations? So think WTO, think the OECD, think World Bank, IMF. And how does what's your sense of 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 how this might change the shape of, of global finance? I think one of the problems that people who are expecting perhaps a huge wholesale change may have is that there were critics of institutions like the WTO, um, global commerce laws, etc., which were bipartisan and some of the the problems that the WTO has encountered in this past year with um, the appellate court being snarled up because there aren't enough judges, um, you know, to deal with these decisions started under an administration that was a Democrat administration. It had nothing to, it wasn't started by the Trump administration and the critique of the appellate court, some of the critique of China has preceded this administration. And so the language and the rhetoric may be different, but the critique is the same. So the need for reform for some of these institutions or the way people engage with them, it, it, there will still be difficult conversations to be had. Yeah. And what I mean, but but so so it doesn't necessarily shift, although there were some things like I think the U.S. opposed um, or I should say the, the Trump administration uh, stymied in the Nigeria former Nigerian finance minister, for instance, becoming WTO head. Right. That's right. And sort of that's gone sort of kicked into the weeds at the moment as everybody waits for an administration to be formed. And, it, you know, Biden has other fish to fry. It won't be the first thing he does is to figure out what he wants to do with the WTO. Um, but 
I mean, that can wait. I think the issue may be that the US goes back to building coalitions with other allies rather than slapping tariffs on them, as has happened in the last four years, um, to try and change things. And that may be where movement and progress is seen. It's not that they want completely different things to the Trump administration, but how they go about fixing the problems they see may be different. So here's my prediction for the World Bank. I think uh, I think Biden administration would be would would be smart to choose Mike Bloomberg to reform the institution. What do you think of that idea? I would never sort of contradict you, Rob. You've got far too much uh, inside <laughs> knowledge on this one, perhaps. Well, I don't know about inside knowledge, but you know, you and I both worked for that man at one point. So, but I I mean, it just seems to me like. Um, you know, there are there are some opportunities out there. And I'm sure, you know, as you say, you're right. I mean, it's not the first thing they've thought about. They've got to get uh, secretary of treasury and that kind of thing. But but maybe we end with personnel. What do you think? Uh, what, what's your sense about Jay Powell? Is he safe Swaham, under under Biden? So Jay Powell is a Fed boss who will suit either president, uh, you know, a second President Trump, which looks very unlikely now, or in President Biden. He has changed the strategic framework under which the Federal Reserve works so that it's targeting uh, a more flexible average inflation sort of goal. And that is very pro-growth. That would suit any administration, left or right. And John, what do you think? Who's going to be the most important economic voice in the Biden administration, wherever that position may be, whether it's Treasury, whether it's National Economic uh, Council, whatever? I think it's got to be. I mean, the, the the Fed is in a sense going to be very important here because the Fed will inadvertently or or indirectly facilitate most of the economic plans that Biden has, uh, which will involve quite a lot of heavy spending. But I think I think every I think Treasury Secretary is obviously the one to watch because that you know it's going to be it's just going to be it's going to be crucial seeing who's in that role and and how centrist they are and what Jamie Dimon. I mean, it's. It's, part, it's more possible now, isn't it, that we have mm. um, that we, you know, that the the more progressive voices are going to be marginalised. It's not completely out of the question. Um, so, and that that would not necessarily be a bad thing. Although one of the problems with you know Stephen Mnuchin being Treasury Secretary now, and he's not the first to be in this position, but is that it kind of creates that sense that you've got a a blurry line between the you know the 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 gamekeeper and the game. Right. <laughs> so, right. And I don't know to how to what extent Biden would want to go down that road. I do think I will yeah. say on Bloomberg, though. I mean, we should we should remember that he is your former boss and he's our the owner of our main competitor. But like, he he has not necessarily come out of this whole thing terribly well. He invested a hundred million dollars in Florida to turn it blue, and he failed. So maybe putting him in the World Bank is quite a good way to give him something new to do, and it's maybe a bit closer to his skill set than trying to sway local elections with his billions. Yeah, the, the return on investment was relatively low. On that. <laughs> not to mention his own the mere billion dollars he spent trying to become president. Oh, did we all forget about that? Because it kind of went nowhere. Well, OK, guys, this is great. We'll have more to discuss uh, next week. Uh, try to get some sleep this weekend. That's our show for the week. Thanks to my guests and hats off to our producer, Freddie Joyner in New York. Our final thanks go to you, our listeners, for tuning in. Subscribe to The Views Room and our sister podcast exchange on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast fixes. Check us out every day at breakingviews.com. And don't forget to tune in next week for another edition. Auf Wiedersehen and stay healthy.